0: The views and opinions expressed by a little bit culty are those of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the podcast. No, they don't. Any of the ridiculously thought-provoking content provided by our guests, bloggers, sponsors, or authors are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, group, club, organization, business individual, anyone, or anything. Also, we're not doctors, psychologists, or Her Supreme Holiness Gwyneth Paltrow. Goop. We're just two mortals trying to make a gluten-free, holistically helpful podcast it helps informs and entertains and maybe moisturizes. Silky silky smooth. Mm. Hey everybody, Sarah Edmondson here.
1: And I'm Anthony Ames, a.k.a. Nippy, Sarah's husband, and you're listening to A A Little 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 Bit Culty. Culty, a.k.a. ALBC, a podcast about what happens when devotion goes to the dark side.
0: We've been there and back again. A little about us, true story, we met and fell in love in a cult. And then we woke up and got the hell out of Dodge.
1: And the whole thing was captured in the HBO docu-series The Vow, now in its second season.
0: I also wrote about our experience in my memoir, Scarred, the true story of how I escaped Nexium, the cult that bound my life.
1: Look at us a couple of married podcasters who just happen to have a weekly date night where we interview experts and advocates in things like cult awareness and mind control. Whoa, and wait, wait,
0: wait. This does not count toward date night, babe. We got to schedule that. That's separate. So
1: there's two days we got to hang out?
0: <laughs> we do this podcast thing because we learned a lot on our exit ramp out of Nexium, Still on that journey and we want to pay the lessons forward with the help of other cult survivors and whistleblowers.
1: We know all too well that culty things happen. It happens to people every day across every walk of life. So join us each week to tackle these culty dynamics everywhere from online dating to mega churches and multi-level marketing. This
0: stuff really is everywhere. The cultiverse just keeps on expanding, and so are we. Welcome to season five of A Little Bit Culty, serving cult content and word salads weekly on your favorite podcast platforms. Learn more at a littlebitculty.com. Hope you're having a great
1: summer. Oh yeah. I hope that too. <laughs> it sounded super sincere. It was. It was. I'm just hoping over here. Full of hope.
0: So by the time this episode's drop, we should be in Vancouver as a part of our two-month Canadian tour extravaganza.
1: The Couve.
0: Back in the Cove. And we will be relaxing on the beach, hopefully, or running around after our kids and trying to stay sane and
1: fighting each other to have our workouts.
0: <laughs> which is pretty much all we fight yeah. about.
1: And I send you memes.
0: You send me memes?
1: I send you memes.
0: About what we fight about? Yeah. Or we no, fight over you, memes.
1: You remember the meme? It's like, marriage is reminding the other person how much they're on their phone when you're not on their phone.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. And and the other meme I saw recently about parenting was, hey, let's get married and have kids and spend the rest of our lives at sporting events. <laughs>
1: oh, my God. Sorry. We,
0: we do a Sorry. lot of that.
1: Sorry about that. Sorry
0: about that. If you don't know what that reference is, go back to season two, three. Anyway. Not that important. You guys, we have such an incredible guest today, somebody who I cannot wait to meet in person. And I think that will happen pretty soon because she lives in Nashville. She's close. If you saw the Willis family on TV, and you probably did, you might have thought them to be the perfect family the 14 children made up of eight girls and four boys performed as a band called the Willis clan, which made it onto the quarterfinals of America's got talent and starred in a TLC reality show called the Willis family, which aired in 2015 and 16 with regular performances at the grand old Opry and fame that was catching on like wildfire. It seemed the wholesome and Christian family's close knit bond paired with their captivating talent would surely catapult them into musical royalty.
1: Unfortunately, and perhaps unsurprisingly, There is trouble in paradise, and evidently a lot of it. Our guest today, Jessica Willis Fisher, recently released her memoir, Unspeakable, Surviving My Childhood and Finding My Voice, in 2022. Her album, Brand New Day, was released that same year. Both creative projects serve as a catalyst for Fisher's second chance, sharing horrific details regarding abuse she suffered at the hands of her father, Toby Willis, and trigger warning, he's serving a 40-year sentence for four counts of child rape.
0: We'll discuss not only some of the details around her father's intense abuse, which is not for the faint of heart, as well as how her creativity and specifically her musicality, the very talent that brought her to fame as a child, have now become forms of healing in her adulthood, or as you Americans say, adulthood. Anyway, we loved meeting Jessica virtually in real life coming soon. Without further ado,
1: Jessica Willis Fisher.
2: Jessica, welcome to A Little Bit Culty. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here, excited to meet you guys. It's
0: awesome, especially to know that you're on your like six-year wedding anniversary trip to Mexico and you made time to do this, so thank you.
2: It's a great example of kind of what life is right now. There's a lot that I'm super happy about, like unabashedly happy about, <laughs> not waiting around for life, just one like sees every moment, but lots of stuff mixed in that is sometimes heavy, sometimes complicated, but that just feels really authentic for.
0: That sounds so great. Are you having a good trip down there?
2: It's great. It's great. It is so humid. Is it? (laughs) You just embrace it, right? And I've I've been briefly to Mexico once before, but we're big outdoor and adventury people. So poolside time is great. But getting out and exploring a cave, a mountain, a waterfall or something like that is definitely...
1: Did you guys get down to Itzá?
2: I think that might be on our list to check out. It's
1: pretty amazing. Yeah.
2: We will have already kind
0: of given our audience like Cliff Notes backstory, but I'd love to hear sort of your, your version, your own words. And I just have to admit something to you. And I think you'll appreciate this having been in your own kind of family cult for so many years. And missed out on even though you were in the public eye and you were out in the world, you didn't have a normal interaction with reality, right? Like in terms of
2: pop culture and that was very succinctly put. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: There, there's an and, upside in not having pop culture crammed down your throat. So
0: the reason I said it is that, like you said, even though we're, our stories are totally different, the parallel for me is that when we were in our cult, that 12 years from 2005 to 2016, like we actually got out a year apart, right? I don't know if you know that, but you woke up, I think just a year before you got out in 2016. Yeah. We got out in 2017. So those 12 years leading up to it. When you were famous as part of the Willis clan, I didn't know who you were because I was so focused on the cult. So my apologies that I missed your fame then, but I'm catching <laughs> up now.
2: <laughs> That's the, here's the thing. First yeah. of all, like I'm sure don't have the same opinion as the other people in my family, anyone else in the public or whatever. But I feel like it's its own little slice. Like, reality TV has its own, you know, like, culture and circle and whatever. And most of the people that I met were all great. I just don't really... I hate that it's called reality TV because that's not what it is. But also, I don't think it was reality TV's fault, per se. They were just amplifying the facade that had been created kind of for that, but also kind of whatever I talk about in the book, like I really feel like it was just a grasp for whatever next largest megaphone could be used. And that one was available. So that, you know, is kind of how that relationship worked. But when I was writing the book, I wanted to articulate that it was like, these were the weirdest four years and they were the most unrealistic and unhealthy. And there were a lot of wonderful things thrown in there you know, whether it was experiences we had, people that we met, shows that we did, but I wanted to put it in the proper context of what all had kind of led to that time. And then really that it was not, it was kind of artificial in that it was delicate. It was like so much energy had to go into presenting something that wasn't real. So anyway. Such a contrast to what you're saying now.
1: Reality TV is, is a tool that fortifies the facade a little bit.
2: Yeah. And like, here's the thing. Love me a good cooking show. I will try to go make that delicious meal later. I love seeing a good house flip. So I want to be careful with my words. I think words mean so much and certainly my upbringing, sometimes in the cultish like control. So anyway, being careful is like, it's more of that. We're going to air our relationships. We're going to try to show you what our lives are like. Look, when you add a camera, it changes everything. And you act like no one's listening, but millions of people could be listening. So of course that changes things. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and for those who are, uh, we're also either in a cult or living under a rock. Can you bring our audience up to speed as to like homeschooled eldest of 12 musicians, river dance, violins, like everything. What's tell us?
2: <laughs> Have you ever been to Branson? <laughs> so I'm the oldest of 12 kids and we, are We had a family band for a number of years, starting kind of in 2012. We put out our first album and kind of transitioned from doing competitions and stuff to performing. And we were on The Today Show, we were on America's Got Talent, and had our own reality TV series that was focused on our family. And we did music and dance, as you said. And, you know, initially, my perspective, other than those years of the Willis Clan, was that obviously I wasn't the oldest of 12 starting out. Like our life was a lot more normal, but it escalated over time. And if you have three siblings doing something together, we see that a lot. We see bands that have two, three siblings. We see businesses that include a couple siblings. But anytime you have 12 siblings and, you know, the oldest necessarily is probably in their early 20s. And then you have little kids and there's this wholesome, cute act, really kind of whatever you're doing. For us, it was music and dance. And that was our thing. And there was, you know, I think the 12 kids says a lot. There's almost this under philosophy or when you live so differently than the average person, again, doesn't start off that way, but got very extreme. It just begs the question, why do you do this? What beliefs do you have that led you this way? And for us, there was a version of Christian faith that also kind of escalated over time. So that was also part of what we were presenting ourselves to be. But in 2016, it all just kind of blew up inside of me, in my face, however you want to make that analogy, because what was being shown on the outside and what was really happening on the inside or like behind closed doors was just so radically different. It was abusive. It was toxic. And I really don't know I could have survived much longer in that. And at that point, that was like the scandal because there was enough of public awareness of the image we were telling.
0: Well, we try to do in our podcast is not like re-traumatize people. And I know that you said that you're in a good place and you can talk about things. And I personally would just want our audience to read your book, to read Unspeakable. Because not only is it like a, just a really well-written memoir, but it, it offers something that I haven't seen quite in this, because I read a lot of cult memoirs and memoirs of people recovering from these, you know, terrible things. But it really, I think you can really clearly see the work that you've done, you know, in your healing process to be able to understand what happened to you in, and the way that you put it, did you have, I don't know if you want to say this, but did you have a co-writer or a ghostwriter? I did not. You did not. You wrote this all by yourself?
2: Yeah. So just a little bit about the book process was if you want to go there, I'll keep it. I can ramble, but I'll, I'll try to like some of the highlights. I had started writing this as an extension of my actual therapy, like you're saying, the work. And I kind of say that towards the end of the book, that there was this kind of natural progression. And even calling the book unspeakable was realizing that one of my very earliest memories was feeling like I should have spoken or wanted to speak, but didn't know how it didn't have the words. And therefore, one of the ways to kind of deal with that move past that process that is is it helpful to finally speak to acquire those words to then share that with people i don't know that that's always appropriate i certainly don't think you know survivors or anyone should be pressured necessarily to tell their story like you said it can be re-traumatizing but for me it's been extremely helpful for me personally if no one had read the book if i did not publish it it was something that i needed to do. And I also got really good advice pretty early on in my therapy, not to rush about trying to help other people. A lot of people know that helping others, mentoring, you know, even say it's an AA or in social work, you know, there's so much meaning and purpose that can be added to your life when you know you're doing something that really can save lives and change things. But part of what I was needing to start healing from was like, performing and doing something that was outward and neglecting everything inward. I liked earlier, Sarah, you said like the reality piece, like being cut off from reality or not interacting with reality. Like what is reality? What is health? What is What are standards for bodily safety? Like all those things. I just needed to go all the way back to the beginning. And I think of it as being like in the emergency room of life. So doing the writing and everything was just an extension of therapy in 2020. It was, oh, I might be writing a book. Do I actually want to do this on purpose or not? I talk a little bit about writing a letter to my mom and realizing that, oh, if I actually go about telling this story, it's going to conflict with any stories that don't follow what actually happened. And this sense of that I needed to be quiet to protect my reputation, the family's reputation and how much energy and how long was I going to go my whole life still trying to do that as opposed to leaning into what was scary and heavy and hard, but also could potentially open up my life to that deep meaning and being able to help others. Like I felt like it was now appropriate for me to just try to explore what that would be. And I wrote like 450 pages <laughs> and I had an agent that I had met was very supportive, said, show me what you have. And she said, okay, you probably got to cut out about a hundred pages did that. She helped me connect with some publishers. There was a publisher that was interested. And when I talked to the editor there, I really felt like this was a person that I could trust to help me fine tune. And really it was a cutting down and a distilling. And it's not necessarily taking out stories or chapters, but hey, how can we say this in a more succinct, you know, meaningful way and that it improves when you cut it down. And, you know, Sarah, I know you have a book as well. So I don't, you know, I'm going to send it to only you. done this one time. I can't wait. I was trying to get my hands on it and I ended up listening more to the podcast to kind of acquaint myself. But yeah, I'm, I'm a huge reader. I love, like you said, I love hearing other people's stories.
1: One of the things, Jessica, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think I speak for you on this as well, Sarah, is oftentimes when you find yourself recognizing something's traumatic has happened, the first human impulse is to put a language to it. And a lot of times there's a deficit of language around what just fucking happened to me, right? And I know that was for me and I got my hands on all sorts of things, books, and it, I didn't have to look far. There's <laughs> there's there a lot of documentation of, of how these things work. So I think it's a natural human impulse to do what you, you did and an extremely healthy one.
2: Thank you. I mean, I, I agree. And I think that process goes on. I don't want to sit. Say- I've acquired language for everything. And I talk it briefly and later in the book, because like, yes, we're talking about the book, but the first part generally is like my childhood and my younger years. Obviously I mentioned the stuff about the family band. I talk a lot about getting out of the situation. And then the end is, you know, talks about my therapy, talks about the first few years of like trying to, what do I do now that I've, How do I reclaim my voice and my story and and all of that? So there's a kind of a wide arc. But I had a friend, another like oldest girl from a large family say, hey, I'm coming to town to go to this conference about cults. You should come. So do you know how in the book it talks about one of the first like public hits for our family was they were doing that the Today Show was doing the Sound of Music family competition? Yeah. Okay. So it was one of the other families. No way. There were three families. The last three families was me, like a black family from Brooklyn who all, they're the only ones still together and doing music. And then it was another large white family. And she messaged me years after I had gotten out and said, hey, remember when your family did that thing? My family was the other family. There's abuse in their family. There's all kinds of stuff. And she has very similar kind of consequences and complexity around when she talks, her whole family, like, you know, anyway. But she's been like trying to make sense of the dynamics within her family Wow. and took me to this. Anyway. Was it ICSA,
0: International Cultic Studies Association? I believe or... so. Yeah. I okay. believe so.
2: Yeah. And so when I was there, talk about acquiring vocabulary. I was like, whoop, whoop, whoop. This is all super relevant. One of the ladies there, I'm blanking on her name, But she had worked on a book called Whispering in the Daylight, I believe. And it was the Tony Alamo kind of cult. And specifically that, I got one of her books and read that. And there were so many specific things that I was like, that happened to me. The scale was just, you know, the the nuclear family, just the siblings and parents, not extended. But man, talk about resonating or feeling seen or acquiring words to help match what you lived, that was really powerful for me. And I was unaware that that was a whole arena that could be really helpful for me to kind of study. And look, if a documentary comes out about some sort of like cover up or cult or high control group or charismatic leader that led people to do weird things, like we're watching it (laughs) because we're, you know, I said we, Sean and I, for the rest of our lives, we're trying to make sense of what happened to us as individuals as a couple and the work goes on
1: most of our stories are people going back and reconciling missing the red flags right you didn't really have an opportunity to have instincts that you were going against and i imagine a lot of it from what i've gathered is you going back and going you didn't have that opportunity you were indoctrinated into abuse and then you had to go back and recognize that things were weren't normal is that a fair assessment
2: yes I would say, yes, you know, the word indoctrination was a word I think I got through probably the cult side of things. Because if you say indoctrination, and you're saying it negatively in a religious context, that's pretty confrontational. You know, if I said, hey, you indoctrinated me with Christianity, you know, that's a, that's an, that's a certain type of conversation. But my dad truly had, we were a subset of a subset of a subset of a subset of a subset, which is basically the pattern of most cult or high control leaders, is they fix something. It was so weird for us to learn about like Nexium and the vow and all of that because I was like, "Oh, look, that's like stuff that I learned in therapy that's like helpful in this context." But then it's the thing; it's the thing that's being used to hurt people ultimately and create this culture where I had a completely different experience. And we like laughed. We were like, if it was that wonderful therapeutic retreat that we went to, but the leader became a cult leader. Like that's what that sounds like to
0: us. I totally thought that when you were describing your retreat, I was like, that sounds Mm -hmm. like a five day with good leadership. Like a (laughs) Nexium five day. It sounded great. Like I was like, that's what I thought I was signing up for. And I'm so glad it didn't turn out culty for you that one.
2: Right. (laughs) And so we're like, you know, it was even a thought process of, you know, when you've been in a situation, whatever situation that was uncomfortable, unhealthy, toxic, and the whole looking back at red flags, I think sometimes part of what I do is say, Hey, how would I recognize red flags now? Like, how do I not be vulnerable to recruitment into a, you know, again, my situation wasn't, I was an adult And there were these particular moments or vulnerabilities or dynamics that led me to this. It was, as a child, I was dependent. But looking at like, what are the tools in our toolbox now that we may have to distinguish toxicity or manipulation or things, and I certainly don't want to... The minute you think you're impervious is probably when you're actually quite vulnerable.
1: That's been my line for two years, yeah.
2: Yeah. So it isn't about reaching some, well, I've got it all figured out. You'll learn that's actually something that a lot of like, that's what the cult leader will be saying, or that's what the philosophy, that's one of the best things you can peddle is, well, we have the answer. When someone is saying we have the answer, the absolute answer, the only answer, everybody else is wrong. That's a really common red flag now. So making sure that I'm not doing that in my own way, or the pendulum is, you know, this is what I experienced, so I'm just going to blindly turn around and be just as dogmatic or fundamentalist or extreme, but in the opposite way, that's not the answer either, so.
0: This is the golden age of cult recovery. The more we speak up and share our stories, the more we realize we are not alone. Your voice and your story can empower others. This is Sarah, and I'm proud to be a founding collaborator of the hashtag IGOTOUT movement. Learn more at igotout.org. Back to indoctrination for a minute. Cause you know, normally we spend a little more time in the like weeds of what the group was like. And again, I'm going to refer people to the book mostly because I just don't want you to have to repeat and relive those things. And it's not like, we'll, we'll inter- do it. We'll do more of an introduction beforehand, but I, I was particularly curious about the indoctrination in terms of, in the subset of the subset of the subset of the subset, what were the key things? Cause if you and I have done a lot of different episodes on like Christianity and not like the healthy Christianity, but like the toxic subset, subset, subsets. <laughs> and they eat, they all seem to have some basic assumptions or problems in two things that I saw. One was obedience. What are the two problems with the indoctrination of this particular type of religious subset that makes you totally right for abuse?
2: There's a few disclaimers for me, I want to get into this. You know, I have a lot of people that I love that I'm related to extended family and friends that are Christians. There are certainly many people around the world whose faith is dear to them and who I really think their faith like makes them a better person, makes the world a better place, and that's all great. Anytime you have something that has been around so long and so many people have been involved, we're all talking about slightly different things. The word Christianity has meant thousands and thousands of different things. And so coming to the language part, it's tough because I want to be articulate. I want to speak with certainty and in a sense authority about my experience and speak the truth. And like, how do you hold space for how those words are used differently for other people? So saying that it's a subset of a subset of a subset of a subset is a way to explain to people. So many people do not take these things that my dad taught and, and also believe them. On the other hand, it's been an interesting process for me, if you will, if I'm all the way over here to go back into the previous set, the previous set, the previous set, and to see some of the things that I think are core to the toxicity, like still present. And to make sense of that, because I want to explore that larger tent, that thousands of years and thousands and millions of people tent. But my experience has really tainted a lot of that. And my the work that still remains for me and is quite present for me is to make sense of a lot of the harmful indoctrination that was tied up specifically in the religious and spiritual side. So sorry, that was a lot of la la la. No, it's
1: great. Love it. Well, I'll note this as you're saying, and it might be good to preface it. And I can tell that you're choosing your words carefully and you're being very careful. No matter what, how well you choose your words, whatever, someone's always going to twist them, cram them down your throat, to justify their vitriol towards you. So that's just probably going to happen no matter what. No matter what. Every episode we do offend
2: somebody, just so you know.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And you'll just have to demonstrate your otherwise.
2: I totally get that. I had some time, definitely, before the book came out where I, you know, accepting the reality that when you speak, you have absolutely no control over... People's reactions, their feelings, their responses towards you, and Sarah, I don't know, I don't know if you guys get this. When people ask you, when you create something, they ask you, "What do you want people to take away? How do you want people to fit? You know, like what do you want people to know?" And it's like the most common question. And for me personally, from my like mental health perspective, it was so funny because part of me wanted to say, "Well, currently I've had to be in a place of tuning all of that out because if." if what I'm doing right now and releasing this book or speaking or trying to make a difference or whatever is based on someone else's reaction, then I probably shouldn't be doing it. This is too heavy for me. It's too, like, this isn't the easy thing that is always going to be fun just for its own sake. I learned from Brene Brown, and maybe she even was quoting her husband when she said this, but it's a great gut check question of, are you willing to be alone on this? And I asked myself that quite a bit to say, if everyone else was at odds with me and I can look at my own experience to remember this, my entire world was my family. And when my whole family and I were at odds, I've had that lived experience. So I can check in and say, could I survive that? Is this worth it? And that's the kind of space that I've been in with my book. But Sarah, I'd love to go back to some of the specifics. You're kind of asking like, what were some of the Of markers or specifics about kind of my dad and his teaching, and like what our little world was like. And I mentioned earlier that it escalated over time, but I'll just skip to the end. Like some of the things that were present at the end was there is a lot of apocalyptic, like end times emphasis that got added, which fits a pattern, (laughs) you know, when the world is could be ending tomorrow, or we need to be prepping for the end today, you really have a lot of leeway to just say that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter because the world's about to end because it doesn't matter what you do or how you feel if you're going to be burning in hell tomorrow. And you know you could use that at any time, depending on how you interpret theology with just saying, what if you died tomorrow? Are you going to go to heaven or hell? But there's also what happens if the whole entire world, like if you're in the middle of a army and a battle. So that was really present towards the end. And there were a lot of, I would say, maybe something that wasn't as religious. And like, what was it that my dad added? Dad had an opinion about everything, like the perfect length for skirts, shorter than you would expect. The only sport that really mattered, wrestling. Like, And there was this whole like philosophy that he had gotten in his head. And maybe he had these things for years. And as he had more and more power and more and more time and isolation away from any sort of check and balance. It just grew in his mind. I don't always know where he may have gotten inspiration from elsewhere. I don't know if you guys have encountered this, but when you're trying to make sense of your experience, like say your experience with like Keith and Nexium, when you get out and realize there's other, wait, they use the same word or they did this darn grooming thing. Like, did they all study at the same plate? Like, is there a book? How to, you know, it's, it's really striking. It's really weird. Mm-hmm. So, Blows my mind almost every episode.
1: I mean, I, I yeah. have some theories and explanations for it. I think what happens ultimately is where normal people may do behaviors that hurt other people. They have natural mechanisms that correct them. They feel badly about it. Or if you tell a lie or something like that, and you f- walk around with a lie, you recognize you poison your own well. I think those people have mechanisms where it doesn't feel that bad. They eventually start to recognize they can get away with it, and then it starts to feel good.
2: You know, I, yeah, I don't want to spend what feels like a second life obsessing about the, life, no. the first one. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, or, I agree. You know, I think
1: that's a really positive disposition. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Letting him have more power. I think I will always be curious and a part of, it's kind of like having, there's always a tab open in my brain, like trying to make sense of, I, I think also it's being a kid thing. You know, there is so many things that happened so early that the thread followed through and culminated in this crazy thing. But when it started, you didn't have that vocabulary. You were so dependent. You were so trusting and so you'll come across something and go, "Oh, six-year old me finally understands that thing that I saw or heard or experienced." And I think that is helpful. So always be doing that. Anyway, I don't know how much I think there's a lot more learning and processing for me to do around kind of the cultic and even religious and ph- philosophical aspects of my family. There was so much that happened, and we haven't even said this yet on the podcast. and, You know, I know you have an intro and everything, but to name it, the big dark thing at the center was sexual abuse for us in our family, for me personally. That was always part of my story as far back as I can remember. And if you take that out, it's a different dynamic. Like that was always the deep dark. That was the secret that we were carrying around in our different ways and at different times. But I'm still making sense of all the things that went along with that, if that makes sense.
0: Completely. The thing that I was alluding to at the beginning, in terms of the indoctrination of specifically the subset, subset, subset of Christianity, was the hierarchy within the family that the father, in specific, is even above the wife. Like I was so not raised that way as these hippie parents, where they were a total equal. To imagine like my dad ever saying like, "But I'm the head of the family," like. That would just be like, okay, dad. <laughs> like I just to have that contrast in my my experience and reading your story of like that leaves so much room for all kinds of abuses of power, physical, sexual, everything.
2: That's an interesting specific because I do believe, for example, I was kind of trying to be careful about this large tent idea versus this super small little cluster of our family but that belief that men are naturally and or by god put above women and their children is actually a belief that is really really wide and really really common and most people do not see it as naturally leading to the situation that i was in i think you can't un- i can't unsee how related that is again many people would never, would be so, they're so pained and saddened to know that that would be something that would be used for bad. It absolutely was as part of the situation. So how do you, you know, hold space for that? And you can do it an individual as well, if you take out the gender part of it, but the teaching in Christianity, it's called like total depravity, where every human being, like the tiny little cherub looking child, has a sin nature and the only bent of their heart, of their body, of their mind, it's all fallen. And, you know, when the kid first starts crying, that's rebellion, that sin that need, you know, in the parent's job, even though they're imperfect and wrestling with their sin nature as well, is to discipline that violently if needed. You know, like, again, we're talking about some things that can be very widely held beliefs, And many people do not intend to use them for criminal abuses, yet that is one of the most common things that is used to commit violent crimes, sexual crimes. And then there's hypocrisy to cover it up. The hierarchy kicks in. And I think it's really, really tough because if you are a female child in even that larger tent... You can have all these wonderful, well-meaning people around you, but you're hearing these teachings totally differently than everyone. Else. And so I've had the weird position of talking to, from what I can tell, wonderful men who have like servant hearts, much more Jesus-like men. Not like my dad, this like high tyrant i I'm the voice of God, but this beautiful, kind person and saying, yes, but that scripture that we're all talking about In the context of a child being sexually abused by their caregiver and or biblical authority, read father, this is very problematic. And the overall response of we can't talk about that and we don't think it happens or, you know, that we're paying attention to your reaction to this, and we are filing away whether you are a safe person, whether you believe me, whether you're going to stand up for me, and you might have to be put in a really weird situation if I were to tell you this thing that's happening, and this caregiver is, you know, is not to be trusted, what about you? And so I've I've had some interesting conversations with people to try to articulate that viewpoint, because if you haven't experienced it, how will you know what that is like?
1: Well, the apparatus of force has effects, however, small. And in your case, it sounded like it created a real, not only culture of fear, but a culture of who to trust and when was often often confusing.
2: And one example of this would be for many years, even before we were, say, on TV, like if you see eight little kids that like go to bed and you tell them to go to bed or they behave in a restaurant, a lot of parents are like, okay, what's your secret? Tell us. And my dad seemed to love that opportunity to dispense his theories. Mm -hmm. He would also joke, and there's actually footage of this online. We were on the Today Show, and the hosts make this comment about reality TV normally being kind of a train wreck and dysfunctional, but we were so happy and seemed to like each other, and whatever it was, they made some implication that we were not that. And my dad actually says something to the effect of, good job, guys, keep faking him out. And it's a joke. Right. But also Mm -hmm. it's like the in plain sight joke. Right. And when those parents would say, how do you get your kids to, your little kids to behave? Dad would just say, well, it's amazing what happens when you beat them. Or, you know, it's amazing what happens when you don't feed them. And did that happen every day? No, not for some of us. But how many times does it have to happen for your body (laughs) to learn, this is what happens when I step out of line? And fast forwarding to the getting out part, part of the shame and the struggle of being 24 years old, how have I stayed this long? How have I let this happen? Part of the fear was, well, if I step out of line, I'll be attacked. I'll be beaten. And it's like, there were years where that didn't happen. But there was some level of kind of justification that I had to go through to realize, oh, I am stepping out of line. I am getting beaten. My fears were not unfounded all this time. You weren't crazy. Yeah, I wasn't crazy. And that also, that time, this is that 2016 time, was just the darkest period of my life. But I almost had to go through I wasn't able to make the choice to get out of there until I felt like, oh, I may not physically survive. I think I'm in danger to the point where my life is going to end violently and soon.
1: Hey there, listener. Hope you're enjoying this episode and that you're taking deep breaths when we cover the enraging stuff that cult jerks are up to. Let It Out as in the yoga practice. Inhale, positivity. Exhale, negativity. That's for you, Sarah. We got this. No hulking it out, all you little hulksters. And if you need some helpful resources on the topic of cult recovery, check out our website at a littlebitculty.com. And now, here's a brief message from our sponsors.
0: So before we get to your, you know, the final straw, I know there were obviously so many things leading up to the to the darkest time and the darkest moments. And I just have to say that one of the things that I think was really valuable for me as a reader, but also as a survivor in terms of like catharsis and resonance is your ability to explain all the things that had happened to you that weren't right. You know, all of the abuse, physical, sexual, emotional, spiritual, what went on in your brain. And it, it, to me, it was, it, it was really indicative of like, you didn't, and I struggled with this also when I was writing my memoir. Like It's like I'd say something and be like, but what I learned later was this was, was actually was happening. And I, I liked how you didn't do that. And you stayed in the moment of like kind of bringing the reader through the compartmentalization, the disassociation, the, the separating yourself, like the part separation. I loved how you didn't even name it like that. You didn't name those things. You didn't say dis- I was disassociating. You were like I didn't I,
2: have I had no. A at the time. Mm. You're
0: like I'm a little girl and I'm over there and then I'm not that little girl and I have to tell myself I'm not that little girl. Like it was just it was really really well written. I'm very surprised you didn't have a co-writer. But I guess you are a writer and you write songs, so it makes sense that you were able to cuz I I had to hire someone to help me find those words. I was just like how did you do that?
2: Yeah, and I mean therapy. Was, yes. when helping yeah. me find those words. Yeah. And I had a wonderful book team and the editor, I felt like I learned so much. As I said earlier, that was usually a whittling down. But I do think that I wanted to, I mean, it's kind of a bold thing. I don't want to traumatize anyone else. Hey, if someone's reading and they don't have sexual abuse in their history, which a a lot of us do, like statistically, a lot of us do. One in four women. But like, I'm so happy if you don't. And I'm not here Like I would never knowingly, willingly want to like even vicariously make you feel that. And yet, how do you articulate something that does happen and isn't talked about much? And so there were lots of things where I felt like I read uh, Tara Westover's book, Educated, and I resonated so much. I had it here to be like, you've read this, right? I just want to make sure you read it. Okay, good. Absolutely. (laughs) I resonated with it so much. And it was like, yes, this, but with sexual abuse, more sexual, you know, like that sort of thing. Or, you know, so I really felt like that was a thing that I had to articulate that was either mine to lean into or not. And it's been interesting to your point, Nippy, earlier about people are going to disagree, have their critique no matter what, is that, you know, the only people I've had some people tell me to be quiet and not to talk. And honestly, those have all been Christian people. Not all Christians have told me that, but those are the only people that have told me that the book is pornographic or inappropriate, or to even say what I say that specific is too much. And I'm like, but I, di- but I lived that. You're telling me my experience is too harmful for you to even hear and talk about the problem. <laughs> like we all know that abuse is the main problem how does that even happen? And if you get curious about the question of how does it happen? Why does it happen? Like, you know, let's, let's get curious about this. Let's actually look at it. It always has to be paired with someone who can't look, won't look, or doesn't have, I get it. You don't have words for this, but I didn't either. I had to go get them. When I look at young adults, when I look at my mother, it's complicated. And I have the empathy of, wow, You didn't have the tool for this. You didn't have the strength. You didn't have the vocabulary. And I didn't either. I had to go get it. I had to become the adult that I needed. And so there's this balance of like empathy and taking the responsibility, trying to grow past that, but staying true to in the moment before you knew better, how can you articulate what that was really like? So thank you for for calling that out because that was an intention to try to really help people. Again, not to traumatize people, but this is what it's like. I want to be truthful and kind of be a witness for my younger self. I'm the adult now. I can be the adult that can be strong enough to look at what it was that you actually went through.
1: It's well put. I did an interview yesterday with someone and you know, the current climate that everyone's in right now is, is somewhat divisive. And he said, I made a decision to not be a part of the division and I want to be part of bringing people together. Particularly if you can do it with this subject matter, it speaks volumes about how you have become the adult because that's what adults do.
2: (laughs) I think as human beings, we are so much more alike than we are different. And I see this with my parents, for example, where the reaction that I see around me when I speak my story a lot of times there's a lot of vitriol towards my mother and or my father and almost an othering of, well, your dad is probably so evil that, like, you know, he's almost like a different, he's either possessed by a demon that was the devil, or he's just so evil, so broken. And with a lot of people will say, you know, if I was in your mom's position, I would this, I would that, I would that. And I'm always like, that's actually not what the research says. Research says that this is much more close to, there's all these patterns that follow. Like I didn't get out and go, wow, we are the strangest, weirdest. This has never happened before. It was, this follows a pattern, this follows a pattern. If you want to learn more, study domestic violence. Understand this is how it plays out. Learn about grooming. This is how it plays out. Learn about sexual abuse and how it actually happens. And you see that we are very much... You know, not everybody has 12 kids, not everybody's on TV, but those were like, you know, that's not the main core of what we're talking about here. And yeah, I think when you separate and say, I could never, again, we're talking about that thing, like maybe you're more vulnerable to it. I yeah. think a lot of times I think of like Hitler. And if you think, you know, a lot of people agree, he was a pretty, <laughs> made a lot of bad decisions, bad influence, bad guy. The more I He's- hear
1: about him, the more I don't like him. <laughs> <Same>. <laughs>
2: But if you think that you're almost like a completely different species than Hitler, it's like the road to that destination, I think looks so much more like our everyday <laughs> and the decisions that we make. And n- nobody, even Hitler didn't think he was like an uh, evil guy. He I don't was think laughed
1: was at before he was literally laughed at in the country and about three years later he had power. So it's,
2: yeah, I think, and I think when we, Anyway, I'm kind of going down a tangent. I, I can feel myself.
0: Well, I just just to backtrack for a second about people saying to you that you shouldn't speak or you shouldn't say it. I think I'm going to give you permission. I'm sure you found your own words, but I think it's totally acceptable to say, "I understand it's hard to see these things, and especially if you're protective of Christianity or or the homeschooling, whatever it is that they're protecting, you know." But to say, "If I don't do this and people don't do this, it will continue." And you have to blow the lid off the shame and and embrace it because these stories I, and I really resonate with what you said on the back of your book about you know the shame the, the, the a reminder that shame never has to have the last word. I think that's so important, and that telling these stories will change the world because the more people read something like your story and go, "Oh, that happened to me," and I have a roadmap now out thanks to somebody like you. Like what? What? Well, that's a huge gift. A huge gift for people.
2: It's a really beautiful, complicated place that I'm in right now. I just did a couple days ago, did my first like solo show. It was like half reading as an author, half singing songs and stuff. And this is just one example, but was talking to a young woman there and she said, You know, this song and your story helped me report my stepdad. And I just, you know, sometimes it doesn't feel like it's appropriate for words, just hugging someone and holding space for that. Because that's helpful for me. That's heavy for me. It's validating in the decision to share my story and believing that it has helpful power. But it's always sad. It's like never a cause fully for something. Like it. It's a, cause, a moment for grieving and honoring that. And it's, it's tough. Like, how do you invite people into that? And be respectful of their capacity. Maybe they can't handle anything else heavy. I get that. But also I didn't have a choice. You know, when I was going, through, I didn't have a choice. So yeah, it's it's really interesting. And I think it's a beautiful and fulfilling thing in my life now to know just that one person, like that's enough. That's worth sharing my story. But it's not just one person. It goes out and it's, you know, helped and reached a lot of people. And I'm still trying to just absorb that. And hold space for that and navigate that. It's complicated.
1: Well, you have a wisdom, too, that, you know, if, you're, if your story can be content and wisdom for other people to do what you just told us, I think it's totally worth it. And that's, I think, ultimately, when you're in these situations, Sarah and I came to that and say, I didn't want to be in a documentary. I didn't want my personal life to become other people's entertainment. But I also felt like there's someone out there that needs this wisdom and they're going to hear it. If, if we take the time to put language to it and articulate, and I think you've done that really, really well.
2: I think one of the reactions that I've had is look, if I had a button that I could push that would make it all not happen, pretty sure I'd push it because I get that it's led to all these beautiful things and helpful things, but I don't know if that's ever really justified. Like I could have been a resilient, healthy, helpful person from another source, from a different, you know, I don't know that, you know, we kind of owe it to our abuse because so many people go through abuse and they don't use it for good. You know, it just, it breeds more hurt and and it snowballs. And that's why we have so much pain in the world, but that's not my choice. I don't have the option. So kind of a moot point. And the choice that is in front of me is, okay, can't change this heavy, hard, bad thing, but what do I do with it now that I have it? And how do I make the most positive thing? Like you said, it's like, we wouldn't have signed up for this that being said we did really does yeah what's the choice that i can make that both restores my health and strength all of that and also overlaps with helping other people
1: it is a complicated lane yeah
2: where are you at with
0: it now so you just did a solo show which by the way like next time you do one in nashville can you please invite us
2: well i should come do one in atlanta oh even better (laughs) even better both you should
1: yeah Well, we're overdue for a live event.
2: (gasps) I just got shivers.
0: You're doing shows. You're promoting your book. You're living your best life with your awesome husband. Is that a good summary?
2: That's a pretty good summary. I also, I would say, add that, well, you said the shows. Like, I really love to travel and it's been a weird New Year's here, but I think I like to travel a little bit more than I'm doing, like for shows, for speaking, for for playing music, but that's all in the works. Headed up to Calgary and Ireland and a couple of things are coming together, but I'm also in a new like creative wave right now. I wrote a song on the plane down here and, you know, I wrote the book and wrote my musical album. That was 2020. That's a while ago now. And the living, the experience of release, you know, being public about my story, putting out the book like that has brought a whole new wave of processing and experiencing some really beautiful things. It always seems like the minute you've got something over here healed and kind of in a good spot, something else is like, "Oh, me over here, I need addressed." Whether it's like a, a physical triggering or a memory or something that you know, the work continues on. So, but I'm I'm excited to make some more. Art sometime soon, whether it's more books and more music. So,
0: I, well, all of us will be whole, here with bated breath. I'm, I'm curious to know how your family is handling it. Like, what, how you? know, I know you don't like to speak specifically about people, like certain members, but like generally, do they support this journey for you?
2: Well, yeah, I don't like to be in a position of telling other people's stories or speaking for them, so I won't like give an endorsement on behalf of them. But they've been really supportive. My mom, I talk about. Letter telling her that I wanted to write my book. Like, that's way back when I started writing the book. So she was at my show the other night, and I think it's been a really healing thing for our relationship. She's my only mom, and I love her. And it'll probably always be complicated, you know? But I think for me, I realized whether it's family, friends, anybody, if part of what the spoken or unspoken agreement, of us having a relationship is that my story is not welcome or I have to play a part that's not real or we either tacitly, <laughs> or, you know, kind of co-sign on a story that isn't real. That's not something I'm able to do or interested in doing at this point. With my family, I'm, you know, my siblings, I'm just really focusing on, we didn't get time to be siblings, to be friends, and just looking for the opportunities to celebrate people's wins, be there for support when needed or when able, that's kind of the, the place that I'm in. And, you know, there hasn't really been any overlap in, in one sense, writing and music. I see it as, as art. It's also business, you know, like I'm navigating, how do you kind of make it your commerce and also stay true to yourself and everything. And, you know, the family and the business was always so enmeshed and that has been really separate and really like good because I'm not showing up as your bandmate. I'm showing up as your sister, which is complicated enough.
0: Yeah. Even what you just said about like, you know, making the agreement for yourself or the commitment to not, you know, present something that's not true. I think even regardless of stuff that's experienced, anyone's experienced in their past, anyone can relate to that. Your story is obviously, I don't even have words. Your story is what it is. And not even if you don't have that anyone can relate to like the fragment of what happens internally when you have to present one thing and there's something else going on.
2: Yeah, it's about, you can view it as integrity. You can just view it as health. What's the the term that I learned in therapy? I'm trying to think congruency, like (laughs) to realize that, you know, at 24 years old, what I said, what I thought, what I did, what I felt, those were all in conflict, like across the board. And every day was just a fight to navigate that clash and to say, I actually want to try to sort and heal my life to the point where those things are all in flow. And that might mean I don't now have a belief for every single thing. Like what you know actually probably gets smaller and smaller and smaller, <laughs> but the way that you know it and what you're willing to do for that provides a much stronger foundation for your life. And you don't have to defend so many things you can say, "I don't know. I'm working on it." You can be humble. You can it's easier to ask for forgiveness. All of those things, but it's also way harder for you to knock me off of my path because I'm truly rooted in a way that I, you know, never was
0: before. I'm so happy to hear that.
2: <laughs> so that's the energy.
0: It's so inspiring to see. I'm going to check with the other ladies, but I, I just we're casually starting a female cult memoir club, like women who've <gasps> written, written books. And one of them, I want to make sure I'm going to see if I can send this to, to you is, have you read this? Have you read Uncultured?
2: Yes. Oh, you I have. just read that. Okay. Well, and you guys just did a episode with yes. her, right?
0: So yeah, Daniela.
2: Yeah. I go in the bookstore and I figure out where my book is and I'm like, okay, the next three books next to it, got to read that, that, that. And I saw, my book is unspeakable. So I saw Uncultured and went, well, i to read that one. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's so good, and it, and there, yeah, I think you you two will connect on a lot of different levels. For it's super interesting, yeah. especially it's super the singing and performing part because they did that right in the in the children I think of God. So. Yeah, yeah. So again, she, you, she's in, in DC. Atlanta, she's on the East everybody. Coast, and then there's Tia Lovings, who is part of the um, Bill Gothard. Hmm.
2: You know, that's another thing in this latest chapter that I'm still I'm still processing the experience of. I'm trying to be open to it and be present. Is there have been so many years where it felt like I would love to have just anybody that has gone down this path in front of me, and when you're isolated and your you know books and relationships and all this stuff has been kept out of your awareness. man, that feels so lonely, so risky, all of that is when you get out, you realize of course you're not the only one and it's fun to connect with people and super inspiring and encouraging to say, Hey, you guys, you're married. You have, you know, you've had kids, you have one kid, two, two two kids now. Yeah. I just had the weirdest feeling. I feel like we didn't talk about like Sean at all or like my relationship. And like sometimes if that's all people want to talk about, it's so frustrating. And then sometimes it's like, I feel so bad because that's like such an important part of the story, but it's a complicated story. We only have time to talk about so much, but even just in our relationship, it's, it's cool to, there's a feeling of being kind of, well, we're blazing a trail here. And yet sometimes we get a glimpse of like, oh, look, there's people over there having a good time. Like, we we got it. We're we're on a we're on a cool path.
0: You're totally on a cool path.
2: We'd love to connect with you guys.
0: Absolutely, we'll get together in real in real life. We could even do another episode of weathering this shit as a couple. You know, a, cu- <laughs> a couple's therapy episode.
2: As long as you like, as I don't know about you guys, but as long as it's like, man, it's such a weird. Definitely don't want to be signing up for a situation where it's like, let me tell you, I've figured it out. Oh here's yeah, here's how to. Anything ever? Like, I do not really want to be in a position of here's how to anything. No, probably, I know. For the rest of my life.
0: I know. Yeah, even with my uh, TED talk. Yeah, even yeah. With, <laughs> even with a TED talk, I was like, I'm gonna try not to be authoritarian as I tell you how to not join a cult. <laughs> I was like, maybe you don't want to do this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you can have strong opinions about abuse yeah, of the power. Yeah, I
0: have strong opinions about that. But either way, I I really. Just uh, so much respect and admiration for you that you, you know, you went all the way with this and didn't back down from people trying to dim your light and keep you more silent. And that you're not bitter.
2: I think especially from the religious side, there's this, well, don't be too angry. Don't be too bitter. And like, don't be, you know, hung up on unforgiving and all of this. And some people read, assess where I'm at and they will say, you're bitter. Like I've had people tell me you are bitter because bitter is not, bitter is anything that's not covering up. And there's a scripture, love covers a multitude of sins. And you know, there's an interpretation of that where if I'm not covering up the sin, then I'm not loving, then I'm not forgiving. And it's like, that's actually not, (laughs) that's not how I interpret that. I'm not, that's not my job. That's not what I'm here to do. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for letting me come spend time with you guys. Still relatively new. I, I do love having conversations and, and podcasts and thinking about always taking notes. I might step into that arena myself. Somewhere. Absolutely. Well, pick our brain. People ask me about my story and then I'm like, but I want to talk about you. <laughs> I'm talking about someone else's story for a second. So.
0: <laughs> it's a wonderful arena. And I will say that I think podcasts are so great because having a long form space, like as you probably know, is so different than like you know, talk shows where it's you know such quick get your sound bites and they can be as you wrote in your book, and get edited, your sound
1: bites in not and
0: properly and out of order, and it's just
1: they're also easier to twist.
0: We edit very little. We will be very raw. Yeah. And what we will say is that everyone should read the book. And specifically, I love how you went into the great detail with your you know your therapy journey and what things were helpful, and you know the the people that even even as you were reading your acknowledgments, I was like weeping with like gratitude for all the people around you that came up and helped you find your way.
2: And remember, I said earlier asking, like, are you willing to be alone on this? Yeah. My experience has been sometimes that is what it feels like. Sometimes that's what it is. You have to stand alone in a moment. But so many times you don't have to be alone. I certainly did not make all these choices alone, take all these actions alone. Like I've been so supported to the point where I just feel like for the whole rest of my life, if I can do even half of what people have given me for others, like that will be a a life's work. So I have a charitable fund just trying to give back to the places that were there for
0: me. Tell our audience where they can support you and the things you're passionate about.
2: Yeah, you know, we talked about what we talked about. The book is out there, but if you go to my website, JessicaLilisFisher.com, that's where you can see if I'm doing a book signing or a music show. Hopefully we'll get some more locations on that tour list, but you can learn about the Brand New Day Fund. And I highlight different charities that I've partnered with or given to because I'm still learning. And when I get excited about someone that has taken a cause that is so close to my heart and they're actually making measurable change, I just want to tell everybody (laughs) about it. So yeah, that is a fun adventure. And, you know, people can find my music and, and my book there, but that would be a great place to just Keep up with me for the foreseeable future.
0: Jessica, I'm so like grateful that you took the time from your six six year anniversary in Mexico to chat with us. It's your story is remarkable, breathtaking, heartbreaking, all the things. And I'm really proud of you.
2: Well, thank you for holding space for a complicated story and just sharing your platform and your time. I'm excited for people to to read the book and just they can choose much they want to step into that space as well but yeah really appreciative of the time amazing go enjoy the beach
1: <laughs> thank you Jessica does it even matter if you
2: ever know the reason why learn about the pattern and you'll see the love living by everyone has to choose you don't have a thing to lose now that your future's in your head.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Citizens of Sound, a podcast production agency committed to developing and launching shows with gravity and depth. From conception to launch, Citizens will partner with you every step of the way, whether you're an actor, business owner, doctor, fitness coach, hairstylist, or influencer. Connection is the future of communication. Jump on board with Citizens of Sound today and start your show. Go to citizensofsound.com and follow them on Instagram. And trust me, it'll be a really good decision for you.
0: All right. So that wraps up with my new best friend and personal hero.
1: Yeah. It's great to see her use the tools that she learned under the kind of regime, if you will, and turn it into a positive. Living well is the best revenge, I think. Yes. I think she's on that journey.
0: And if you are inclined and want to support her, check out her Instagram, check out her concerts, buy her book. That's the best way. And stay tuned for hopefully some sort of collaboration. I've been in touch with... Her team and plan to do something fabulous. A little bit culty. We
1: should have her down here. We're her definitely play. gonna
0: have her down here. She could be. She could be our musical opener for the little bit culty uh, live show.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> All right.
0: Thanks everybody. Thanks everyone. See you next time.
1: Hope you liked this episode. Let's keep the conversation going and come hang out with us on Patreon, where we keep the tape rolling each week with special episodes just for Patreon subscribers and where we get deep into the weeds of unpacking every episode of The Val.
0: And if you're looking for our show notes or some sweet, sweet swag or official ALBC podcast merch or a list of our most recommended cult recovery resources, visit our website at a littlebitculty.com.
1: And for more background on what brought us here, check out Sarah's page-turning memoir. It's called Scarred. True story of how I escaped Nexium, the cult that bound my life. It's available on Amazon, Audible, narrated by my wife and at most bookstores.
0: A Little Bit Culty is a Talk House podcast and a Trace 120 production. We're executive produced by Sarah Edmondson and Anthony Nippy Ames with writing, research, and additional production support by senior producer Jess Tardy. We're edited, mixed, and mastered by our rocking producer, Will Rutherford of Citizens of Sound, and our amazing theme song, Cultivated, is by John Bryant and co-written by Nigel Asselin. Thank you for listening.